Are you looking for entertainment for a fundraiser, outreach, youth night, date night, or for a conference? Does your team need a way to improve team camaraderie, confidence, and communication? Well, look at Wellverse Comedy for a show, performance, or a workshop. Wellverse Comedy is Chicago's clean comedy team, and we're ready to serve you, your audience, or your organization. We've headlined our own shows at the Second City at Gettys Comedy Club in Indianapolis and started our own TV show called His Line. And we've raised over $5,000 for charity in just the last two years. We are now booking for your back-to-school bash, fundraiser, and even your holiday parties. Contact us today, and let's see how a night of high-energy, clean, original, family-friendly comedy can make your next event memorable for all the right reasons. Connect with us on social media at WellversedCMDY. That's at WellversedCMDY. Or online at WellversedComedy.com. WellversedComedy.com. For booking information, email us improv at WellversedComedy.com. Welcome to the Gifts for Glory podcast, where we celebrate and promote men and women using their gifts for God's glory. Know someone who is making an impact for God's kingdom using their gifts, talents, and passions? We'd love to meet them. Send us an email at podcast at giftsforglory.com. That's podcast at gifts, the number four, glory.com. And now here is our host, Dave Ebert. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Gift Glory Podcast live on Facebook and YouTube, or maybe you're watching on the Creative Motion Network or listening on uh, uh, your favorite podcast platform. We thank you so much for joining us here uh, today. i uh, got a really exciting uh, ep- uh, episode for you. I'm really uh, uh, keen on this uh, ministry, on this uh, effort, Relentless Pursuit, Outreach, and Recovery. Uh, for those of you that uh, have followed uh, this show or know much about me, you know that I am. Uh, I have a very a big heart towards uh, getting people out of sex trafficking. It's it's modern day slavery, uh, and it, it's it's a horrendous thing that that goes on. And it's not just here in, a, or it's actually not just overseas where you think about uh, third world countries or whatever. But it's it, it happens right here. In fact, the Super Bowl is the biggest sex trafficking event in the world because so many rich and powerful people are here uh, in one location and they're looking for fun. And uh, you'd just be, uh, you would be aghast at how many people are just bought and sold at that event. So uh, I'm really excited to share Relentless Pursuit Outreach and Recovery with you uh, here tonight. Uh, so uh, please stay tuned. Uh, please uh, feel free to comment, ask questions. Uh, we'll be uh, bringing on uh, Lee Gibson in just a few moments. But first, let's dive into our Devotions with Dave segment. Uh, tonight, we're going to be reading for uh, 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 from Romans 10, uh, 10. And uh, that verse says, For it is by believing in your heart, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, for it is believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So it's kind of a two-part thing. You know, Christ did the work on the cross. That is how salvation, that is how redemption is happening. But there's a part, you have to accept it. You have to believe in your heart. And that's what makes you right with God. In fact, that's what made Abraham right with God because Abraham believed and that was counted as righteousness for him. Uh, So it's for by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now, you are saved because you believe in your heart, you profess Christ as your Savior. 
But here, Romans is just, uh, Paul in Romans is just encouraging you and telling you that people need to know. And it's not that you earn your salvation by telling people, but it's kind of like when you fall in love for the first time with with, uh, your spouse, you tell people, you update your Facebook status, you'll tell your mom, your family, like, hey, I finally found the one. And that's how we should be with our relationship with Christ. We should believe in our heart that he's the one, he's the Messiah, he's, he's the love of our lives. And then we should tell people and explain to them because people will argue night and day forever till they till they're blue in the face about what the Bible says, but they can't deny what Jesus does in your life. So with your testimony, you can encourage others to see that there is a savior. There is a need for a savior and he can do radical work in you. So again, uh, just encourage you not only believe, but you got to tell somebody, let people know that you found the love of your life in the Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, that will encourage others to find that same love, that same salvation as well. So Romans 10.10 was our uh, Devotion with Dave uh, segment for tonight. And now let's move on to our guest at this time. Our guest uh, is uh, um, Lee Gibson. Uh, you know, human trafficking is a pandemic that is plaguing our nation and, and plaguing the entire world. Uh, Lee is a U.S. Army uh, Ranger veteran, has worked with the intelligence community uh, with over two decades of experience. Uh, Lee founded Relentless Pursuit, Outreach, and Recovery to join in the fight against human and sex trafficking. Uh, We're going to hear the amazing things that God is doing through Lee and RPOR in the Kansas City area and beyond. We're going to talk about uh, Relentless Pursuit, Outreach, and Recovery, uh, hear about uh, Lee's life, and also hear about his testimony. So please uh, join me in welcoming at this time. Uh, my guest, uh, Lee Gibson. Lee, welcome to Gifts for Glory. Oh, thanks for having me, Dave. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, as I alluded to, I was really excited to find out about uh, RPOR. Uh, you were on uh, the uh, the Random Christian Show, which I was on uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, actually, a few weeks uh, after you were on there. Okay. And I reached out and I said, hey, I really love your ministry. I would love to have you on my on my show. Um, so tell us a, a about uh, Relentless Pursuit and and how it got started. Yeah, so pretty crazy story, man. We uh, we founded it in August of 2019, uh, and the way it came to be is, is pretty crazy. But a, a fire, I, I used to be a fireman in Kansas City as well, so I had all these random jobs. But a fireman buddy of mine's wife, uh, her name is Jennifer, she was going to seminary school, and she, she wrote a paper about domestic minor sex trafficking in Kansas City uh, for this class that she was taking. We were doing a UFC fight party at my house, a bunch of cops, firemen were coming over and she happened to bring this paper over and just like in passing, hands it to me and goes, hey, man, will you check this out before I turn it in? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Whatever. Well, I end up reading this paper and it completely wrecks my life. Uh, I mean, it wrecks me like inside because then I, you know, <clears throat> I started out more frustrated and upset because uh, I read this paper and I'm seeing these acronyms and I'm, and I'm learning about this thing for the first time. Um, and I'm thinking, man, I've been an army ranger. I've been a cop. I've been a fireman. Uh, all these, you know, I was an analyst for Department of Homeland Security for a while. And I mean, I've just, I've operated in all these weird circles. And for me to never be trained in that or know about it, I mean, it literally the first time I ever heard anything about this was this paper. So I was, I started out kind of frustrated and upset. Uh, and then reading it going, man, is this real? Did she, did she get this right? Uh, so it kind of set me on my own journey of doing my own research. So for about three or four months, I mean, I talked to anybody that would talk to me. I mean, I, I researched stuff on the internet. I still have a ton of friends in law enforcement, so I was reaching out to the FBI, Homeland Security. 
I mean, just again, it's all I thought about and talked about for months and months. And, you know, the story started to come together, man, this is real. Her paper's not wrong. Um, and I got lucky that I, I ran across some really awesome people that were kind of already in the fight. So, you know, the Russ Tuttle, people in Kansas City, like Russ Tuttle uh, and, and folks that already had organizations going that kind of took me under their wing. It was like, no, dude, this is exactly what it looks like. And this is the problem. And uh, so I felt like I got really lucky in the people I met right off the bat. But, you know, so I read the paper and I was like, man, I got to get in this fight. I mean, I've been hunting terrorists for 20 years. What's different? Let's just let's just shift that now and let's find out who's doing this and literally in our own city and in, in our own country. So we founded it. Uh, of course, Jennifer, the girl who wrote the paper, thought I was a crazy person. She goes, man, I was just trying to get an A in class. I didn't think you were actually going to do something with it. And I was like, well, look, dude, you can't you can't expose me to something like that and then think I'm not going to get in that fight. So, um, yeah, that's that's a short story of how we, we, we kind of came to be. It was literally from a paper that uh, Jennifer wrote. What was the uh, uh, how did you come up with the name? What uh, what inspired that? Uh, man, a couple of different things. So, you know, my, my time in the military and working for the government, uh, we typically would name operations and that that would be a, a pretty typical name, like, you know, relentless pursuit or things like that. And then I just thought it was fitting for, you know, how we were going to attack this problem is, you know, these girls out there that are these victims, uh, if we're not relentlessly pursuing them and trying to pursue their traffickers and, and the buyers at some level, um, it just seemed like a super fitting name, man. It just kind of came to me. So we just literally tried to name it Relentless Pursuit. So I thought, man, that's pretty fitting. And that kind of opens us up where we can do the law enforcement stuff. We can do the recovery piece. And it just has all these meanings. State of Missouri wouldn't let me name it just Relentless Pursuit. So we added outreach and recovery. Um, and so that yeah, that's RPOR. Uh, then that's our website. And we've kind of branded every, everything off of that. So when, when you started talking to all these law enforcement uh, people and the FBI and you start forming the organization, when, what was the first thing that you did as an organization? Uh, did you do stings or or is it more about, um, you know, just finding uh, finding women out on the street or what was the, kind of the first step uh, for RPOR? Yeah, so we initially thought it was, was, was going to stay a relatively small organization. And I thought, man, just because of my background and, you know, I know a ton of analysts and, and you know, we can operate in this space was my intent was just to be a, a supporting organization of law enforcement. Right. So, you know, at the time, the FBI had like one analyst that focused on human trafficking for, you know, for the, for this area. And so I thought, man, we can just be a force multiplier. So, you know, me with my background and all the folks that I know, we can just essentially help them do open source intelligence, uh, feed them leads, feed them lead packets. Um, and that's essentially what we did for the first three months. And, and to be honest, man, I thought that's where it was going to stop. I was like, man, let's just take our experience, you know, in a, in a 20 year war against terrorism and figure out how we can support law enforcement and just be a force multiplier to feed them more and more information and intelligence to, so that they can do their job. So that went on for about the first three months. Uh, we're in a kind of a follow up meeting uh, with the FBI and a guy I ended up becoming friends with. His name was Mike Daniels, and he was the violent crimes against children guy for like over 12 years, which typically law enforcement people don't stay in that kind of work that long. because right. It's super hard. You know, you're, you're seeing a lot of child pornography. You're seeing a lot of really brutal stuff that's hard to look at guy was super based in Christianity, just one of the most solid Christian dudes I've ever met in my life. So, and he was really good, at, good at his job. So we're meeting with him and I'm like, Hey, what do you think, man? I mean, is, are, are we helping you? Do you like the information? Do you want more of this, less of this, you know, kind of help steer me, get you a better product. Uh, and it was in that meeting. He goes, man, he goes, we love the information you're giving us, but if you really want to help us, you need to bring us a place. You need to get us a place to bring these girls at two o'clock in the morning. And he lays out this scenario. Uh, and that's about the time I had my, my light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. Because he lays out the scenario, he goes, man, as law enforcement, we're taking the information that we have. You're helping us get more information. And essentially, we'll do a three-month investigation. We'll smash the door into a house. We'll arrest these five dudes. We'll arrest, you know, there'll be three girls there on the scene. 
that we're trying to recover. He goes, but we're a bunch of guys in body armor with, with guns. These girls are in a crisis. They're probably high on something. They just, you know, they're in a crisis situation. We're taking the dudes to jail because we essentially have two opportunity or, you know, two options here. We can either arrest the girl to get her off the street, take her to jail. That doesn't help. Uh, mm -hmm. Or we can cut her loose. And if we cut her loose, she's just going to end up with another trafficker or that dude's going to bond out. So I could sense the frustration in the law enforcement people's, you know, that's like, hey, man, that's great. We're collecting this information. But when we go to do this, we need a place to bring these girls. Um, and that's about the time Relentless Pursuit, Relentless Pursuit took a took a, a hard left turn. And it's like, well, you know, we basically started the organization saying, hey, man, how can we fill the gaps? Well, there's already great organizations doing work. Um, you know, we just want to be the gap filler and say, you know, what's not getting done? Because there's no reason to recreate the wheel and, and duplicate efforts that other organizations are doing. You know, you're right. just wasting people's time and wasting people's money. So right off the get go, I said, hey, man, just with my background and the things that I do, I go, we'll just be the, the, the organization that just does whatever everybody else isn't doing. We're not going to duplicate people's efforts. So um, with that in mind, when the FBI says, hey, dude, bring us a place to take these girls, I was like, I guess we're buying a building. Um, so that, that's essentially what we did, man. And that didn't take long. We um, we started looking at some property. I, obviously, I was going to try to still keep it small because we're a really new organization. We don't have a ton of money. Uh, so we started looking at some smaller houses in the Northeast, thinking, hey, man, we could buy a house, renovate it. It would be like a safe house. Uh, and by word of mouth, these girls could start to come in there and we could, you know, start to, to offer them services and, and, and help them find a way out of the lifestyle that they're in. So we all go down and we look at this house uh, and man, I just wasn't feeling it. So we, the, the board and, and my wife and everybody else, we left that uh, house looking at it. And we happen to pull out on Independence Avenue and we're just we're going to head back up north where we live. And we drive by this building and I wouldn't say that I've ever had a, a ton of religious uh like moments, but we're driving past this building and I'm telling you, there was a light on the thing. Uh, and it just, it like spoke to me. We see the building and there's, there's a for sale sign on it. I literally whip around into the parking lot next to it, have my wife take a picture of the, the realtor sign, uh, end up calling that guy. And within a month we own that building. Uh, and, the, and it just, everything just started falling into place. And so that's the building that we own now. Uh, crazy story about that is at the time I go back to the board and I was like, guys, I, we, I found the, I found the building. <laughs> and they're like, uh, we have $2,000 in our nonprofit account. And I was like, we'll figure it out. Uh, you know, we're not sweating it. I go, this is, you know, this is our, this is our moment. I mean, we have to plant the flag and, and do this. The money will come, the volunteers will come, you know, the, the resources will come. We just can't sit here and, and keep talking about it. So um, yeah, man, long story short, we ended up getting owner financing on it. I called the guy that owned the building. Um, we ended up giving him a down payment. Uh, and essentially, my, my board was kind of half against it. My wife was totally against it. She's like, Lee, you're going to make us homeless. <laughs> you're going to end up losing our house. You know, because basically we just took everything we had and we said, hey, man, let's do a down payment on this thing. Because the building was in pretty rough shape. Uh, so mm -hmm. no bank, no banks would touch it um, for, for traditional financing. So we went to the owner and just and gave him a big down payment and said, hey, man, can we make monthly payments for 18 months? Uh, and then we'll owe you this big chunk of money at the end of 18 months with the thought that in that 18 months, if we can get a drop-in center and get this thing up and running, uh, donors will come. They'll see that we're doing good work, and we'll be able to we'll be able to make that payment. And we actually did last April. Uh, we ended up paying the building off. So, yeah, that's amazing. And uh, it's just another one of the situations where God's not looking at your bank account; He's looking at your willingness to step forward. And that's and um, the name of the facility. It's uh, is that Christine's place? Is that the name, or is that part of what you're doing? Yeah. So I think the easiest way to explain it is obviously Relentless Pursuit is the is the overarching organization. 
And in my mind, I try to you know say that's different projects. So the drop-in center was a project, and we ended up naming that Christine's Place after Christine McDonald, uh, who was sold on the streets of Kansas City for 17 years. She's written a couple books. Uh, just she's got an amazing story just in herself. Um, but I just thought it fitting to you know to, to name that project after her. Um, so that's just the drop-in center that is. It's been operational for about 20 months now. Um, we opened it in December of 2020. So a month, 33 days after we closed on the building. We had that uh, open uh, December of 2020 because, again, I, I wasn't going to be an organization to say, hey, we bought this big old building. We're going to renovate it. It's probably going to cost us a million dollars, but we don't have the money. We're going to raise the money. Well, let's take what we can do because uh, it was it was getting cold. It starts getting cold in Kansas City in December. And I was like, man, we're not going to sit here and act like we're a nonprofit. We're going to have a warm place for these girls to come. So the intent was actually never the drop in center that's open right now. That is the only project we have operational there. The true intent of that building was the crisis shelter, which we're mm -hmm. renovating now. And that'll be where the girls can stay for up to 90 days. And we're actually naming that the Mike Daniels home because Mike Daniels was the FBI agent that literally kind of gave us that idea and kind of set us down this path. Um, so the drop-in center was just something like, hey, man, we can get that up and running right now and it can have an impact. We didn't know what kind of impact it was going to have. But I mean, just we've been open 22 months now. Uh, we have about 40 girls a day come through our building. So we've had 700 different girls come through for over 10,000 visits in 22 months. So just the sheer volume, like everybody's like, yeah, we have a, we have a trafficking problem. You know, we have a, you know, prostitution, whatever, whatever everybody wants to call it, you know, street level prostitution, human trafficking, really it's just an exploitation of a vulnerability. So there's that many women just in the independence corridor in the, nor the Northeast part of Kansas city, Missouri, because most of these girls are walking. We, we could open up another drop-in center, you know, in the south part of the city, and I bet it would fill up as well. So just in that little area that we're scratching the surface in, 700 different girls in, in, in 22 months that all, have a, that all have a story, they all have a family, they all have a, a vulnerability that somebody else has decided to exploit. And, and until we opened up, they had nowhere to go. I mean, they're living in homeless camps, they're living in abandoned houses, and I mean, they're literally fighting every single day for their life. Um, so I'm glad we opened up when we did, but you know, I wish we would have been. And Christine McDonald says this, and we have a couple other survivors that have been out of the life for a while that work with us. They come down and volunteer. We actually just hired one. Her name's Candace. Um, she, she's been out about four years. And every girl we talk to that's been out of life for any amount of time goes, I wish this would have been here when I was out on the streets. So mm. that definitely makes me feel good. And, and it makes me know that we're doing the right thing. Uh, and I just can't wait for some of these 700 girls that we're, that we're serving right now. I mean, four or five years from now, I, I can't wait for them to keep coming back and, and uh, just let us know that we're on the right path and doing the right thing. So, but the, the volume is actually what kind of blew us away. So um, when we opened up in December of 2020, it was kind of like, hey man, before we spend a million dollars renovating this whole building to serve these girls, let's make sure girls are actually going to come. What if nobody comes? Right. Uh, you know, we were proved wrong immediately. I mean, literally the day we opened up, we did a little bit of outreach right prior to us opening like that, that week prior to us opening up. Um, we grabbed a handful of survivors that we knew and some firemen and some cops. And we just kind of went out and did some outreach with a couple hundred dollars worth of McDonald's hamburgers and just went driving up and down Independence Avenue and just stopping and talking to girls going, hey, man, we're opening up this place. It's going to be down at 5108 Independence Avenue. Come see us. You know, the first day we had six girls come through, you know, second day, 12. And then now we literally have, you know, 30 to 40 every day coming through. We have a lot of regulars that come back every day that we're open, but um you know, like I said, to the tune of 700 different women coming through that building. Um, it, it blows my mind. And, and I talk about it all the time and I'm down there all the time, but it's still like when we started this, we thought, man, hopefully we can help a handful of girls. Um, mm -hmm. But just the volume blows my mind. 
have you seen a change where they've been able to escape yet or is it still too early in the process to see the, that fruit uh, come to bear? We, we've seen some. Um, it doesn't happen near as, as much as everybody would like it to happen or maybe what people think it looks like. Uh, and we talk to people that are going to you know, decide they think they want to come down and volunteer with us, man. That's usually a talk I try to have with them is, you know, this this isn't a, a rescue operation. You're not going to get this immediate gratification. You're not going to come down here and volunteer with us uh, and just end up talking to some girl and she's just going to flip a switch and all of a sudden she's going to be fine and off drugs and, you know, has having a job and living in an apartment. It's just that's just not what it looks like. Um, we we're very adamant about saying we don't rescue women. Uh, women rescue themselves. And then we just kind of come alongside them. At the drop-in center, we're essentially just planting seeds, right? We're letting these girls know, hey, man, we do see you. We're here for you. You're safe to come here. Um, and then all the services that we offer. But in the end, we're not rescuing them. When they're ready, they're ready. Uh, and, that, and that's kind of what we want that whole building to be, is just a, a light in, 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 the, in one of the darkest areas of Kansas City, right? So, you know, I know I'm all over the place now, but, you know, we decided to pick that area because you're like, man, and essentially this comes down to a fight between good and evil. If you're going to pick a fight with evil, well, then you might as well just go down to the gates of hell and pick a fight. You know, don't 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 hide from it. Don't don't go out in the country and act like we're going to start some great organization. But what our mission set was, was literally to just be at the gates of hell where these girls are being exploited and go, we're right here. Come see us. You don't have to, but you can. And if you do. And, and at the drop in center, we let them steer that experience, man. It, it, they come in. They can come in and take a nap on the couch for five hours and, or watch Netflix. They can take a shower. They can get something to eat. Now they know the services that we offer, so we'll we'll help them get an ID. We pay for the IDs. We have we let them use our address so that birth certificates and IDs can get mailed to our house because that's one of the, you know, the bigger tactics that traffickers use, right? I mean, you take somebody's ID from them, they can't go get on a bus, they can't go get a job, they can't get on an airplane. Um, mm-hmm. So, IDs is one of the biggest things that we do, man. And and I, on that, I tell people it's it's fifteen dollars uh, for a birth certificate and eighteen dollars for for a, a, an ID. So. For $33, you can absolutely change somebody's life. Uh, yeah. They just got to come in and fill out the paperwork. We submit it. The birth certificate's mailed to us. We write a letter for them. And with that and their birth certificate, we send them down to the DMV. They get a driver's license and we pay for it. Um, we also do medical screenings with uh, another local nonprofit called Care Beyond the Boulevard. Uh, and again, it wasn't part of our original plan. It was just everything just keeps falling into place. We meet all the right people at the right time. We get all the money that we need right when we need it. Um, so, yeah, we met Care Beyond the Boulevard and they kind of do... Uh, they go to the homeless camps and they do medical outreach. And so now they've set up shop uh, two days a week in our building to serve the girls that come into to, to our shelter. Um, and that's been amazing. Um, the girls don't need an ID. They can get their prescriptions filled. They can get all the STD testings, like the rapid testings that we, we end up paying for that. Um, just in any basic, I mean, we had girls come in there with gunshot wounds, stab, you know, stabbings. We've had girls get teeth pulled in the back room. So mm. uh, I think that's one of the greatest services that we offer too. And again, that's not of our doing. It's man, you know, God put the right people around us and, and in front of us. And we just opened up and said, here, man, we'll build you an office that you can use this as your exam room. We went and found an exam table that somebody donated us. And now we legitimately get to offer amazing medical services to these girls that come in uh, and, and the IDs. And then we, we do on Fridays, we have a uh, narcotics anonymous counselor come in. And again, because the drop-in center is what it is, it's organized chaos. It's, we don't push any of this on the girls. Because again, our mission for that was that you have a safe place to come get off the street and, and, and take a rest if that's what you need. But we also want to say, if you need an ID, we'll do that. If you need medical treatment, we'll get you that. If you need, you know, an outfit, a shower, hot food, or if you just want to come in and take a nap, we don't care. No barrier to entry. Uh, just come in and, and be safe. 
and know that know that we're there and know that we care about you. Now you mentioned the word safe. Um, the the people that think that they own these these girls, these ladies, they're very protective of their property, you know, quote unquote property. Mm-hmm. What do you do, or have you had incidents where you've needed to have security there? So we do have security there. Uh, we, we pay for a, a security guard at the front door. And then the way we've designed the building is the door. You can't just open the door. Somebody has to let you in. Um, shockingly, everybody asked that question. We have not had near the incidences that people would think, right? And a couple of things I can relate it back to is people who think that they own these girls, they're cowards. I mean, they're, they're not real men. So uh, they don't come and mess with us. We, we've had one that tried to like a group of five girls was walking in and he tried to follow them in. And that's back before we had security that I just worked the door. Cause I was always down there. Uh, and I just met him in the door and stood there. And I was like, Hey man, we don't let men in here. And he kind of looks me up and down and he's like, well, what are you doing in there? I go, well, I work here. Uh, and he looked me up and down one more time and he thought about it, but then he thought better cause he's a coward and he walked mm-hmm. off. Um, and at some level, we get into this uh, discussion with people because, you know, some people ask the question the other way. is like, well, don't you feel like you're half facilitating, you know, this prostitution? Because some of these pimps and traffickers are they let their girls come to us because we're going to feed them and we're going to give them a shower. You know, they're going to they're going to leave our building better than they walked in it. And so at some level, the trafficker may look at that as, hey, man, we're helping him. Um, that's fine if he wants to believe that because we're playing the long game and we have God on our side. So we're just going yeah, you can believe that we're helping you and that we're facilitating her to get back to work. But in the end, we're planting seeds and she's going to keep coming back to us. Uh, we're just essentially using the tactics that traffickers use to manipulate these girls. At some level, we kind of have to do the same thing for the right reason and go. We want these girls to start to count on us and depend on us for food and shelter and and housing vouchers and you know all the things that they need. We want them to depend on us to do that because that's the only way we're going to get, get through to them. Right. So it's just, it's reversing what some guy did to them where he manipulated her to believe that she has to have him and she's got to listen to him. You know, we're essentially doing the same thing for the right reason. And it also, it creates this feeling that this is a safe place. So when eventually you do get the uh, crisis shelter up and running and, you know, the sting comes in and the, they're, I, I don't know, is, it, is pimp the right? I mean, I don't know what you want to call them, but yep. the, the cowards that are in charge, when they get arrested, these girls are now going to know that when they're taken to this emergency shelter, that is actually a safe place. They don't have to worry because now he's in jail, they're safe. So it it creates some familiarity with what you're doing. So when they're pulled there, they they can feel some freedom and feel yep. like maybe this is this is their chance to finally be free. You're just essentially trying to give them another option, right? I mean, try to create a situation where we can put these guys in jail and get them off the streets uh, and then her knowing the place that she can come for help. So, um, but I think back to your original question is we we have seen some successes, uh, again, nowhere near at the volume we would like, but again, that's a learning process for us too. I mean, at some level, I'm I'm a normal man that thought, man, yeah, we're going to go down there and rescue all these women and we're going to help them and it's going to work like this. I learned pretty quickly that now this is the long game. Um, but I don't care if it takes six days, six months, six years, 60 years. I mean, in the end, all you can do is, is just be there uh, and continue to, to, to be alongside, come alongside these girls and, and help them where we can. Um, we're not going to save them all. I can promise you that. So, and we have that conversations with the girls. I mean, some of the girls that are getting close and you can kind of tell, you know, they're getting tired and they come in there and they're just like, man, I, you know, I don't want to do this anymore and I want to get away from it, but they're still scared and they don't know how to go about getting out of it. You're just like, 
Yeah, it's it's that or you're eventually going to die out here. I mean, it it is going to happen. It's it's extremely dangerous out there. Whether you're talking about the buyers, the, the men that are pur- purchasing them on the side of the street, it's just going to take one of them to, that has some weird fantasy that he wants to choke her to death or kill her. Uh, it's going to be that, or the trafficker or the pimp's going to do it, or just essentially the lifestyle of you know being on the streets and and doing drugs and just you know running around with those kind of people. Um, so we we have honest conversations with them about it, like. But they have to make the choice. I mean, you can't force somebody uh, to change the way they're living. So, so right now, what would you say that is the the biggest need at uh, at Christine's place and with uh, the organization as a whole? Uh, man, our biggest immediate one is just more, you know more volunteers uh, because it is kind of messy, tough work. Um, you know, we have a core group of people that volunteer. You know, we try to have four volunteers in there. We, we have a, a staff member, our operations ma- manager, Stephanie, uh, that kind of runs the place for us and manages it. Um, but man, we, we go through volunteers because it's tough work, man. You can't expect the same volunteers to keep coming in there day after day because it's emotionally draining. You know, you end up building some level of relationship with all these girls and it, it's tough to watch, man. And, you know, they come in laughing one day and then the next day they come in all beat up and, and talk about getting raped and just the horrible mm-hmm. things that happen to them day in and day out. Um, so I'd love to have more volunteers um, to just, you know, get more people cycling through it. Um, and then just, yeah, just the normal daily stuff, man. We go through a ton of food, a ton of clothes, because all of our food is volunteer based as well. You can sign up on our website and there's instructions on there to say, yeah, make enough for 40 to 50 people. Have it delivered by this time. You know, try to do it in something that we can serve because we don't have a full kitchen yet. Um, we're renovating a, a bigger section for the, for the uh, drop in center as well. Yeah, but right now it's just, you know, people donate food for these girls and we serve it hot food. Um, we go through a ton of clothes, ton of hygiene items. Um, I mean, that's one of the, everybody's always asking how they can help. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty common question that we get. Uh, and I typically tell people, man, just come hang out with us for a couple hours down there because there's nothing we don't need. I mean, if you name it, the, you know, these girls are going through it. Uh, again, food, clothes, every nonprofit needs money uh, to keep running. So um, I, I tell people because I don't know, what, what an individual strengths are. Like, I don't know what you're good at. I don't know what you're capable of. Come hang out with me for an hour at the property. Let me show you around and, and just kind of get your eyes on what we're doing. And in your mind, you'll come up with something you're like, you know, some people just aren't built to hang out in that drop-in center for five hours, talking to these girls and serving them coffee right. and listening to their stories. And that's not a bad thing, man. Just some people aren't built that way. And we have people do that. They'll come down and be like, man, I can't, this is tough. I can't listen to some of this. Well, cool. But you like to cook. Well, cool. Cook, cook us meals then, or Hey, I could do a donation drive. You know, I, I have all these people that do art. So cool, man. Our girls love to do art. We have a whole little art section. All the art in the building was done by the girls. So man, run out and do a donation drive for us and get paint and canvases and, 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 and whatever. But um, yeah, there's somebody can get in this fight. Uh, there, there's something everybody can do to help. And the, uh, the website for those that are listening on our podcast is rpor.org. Uh, you can find uh, links to how you can volunteer, how you can serve, how you can donate. Uh, there's also Christine's Place uh, Amazon wish list that you can purchase items that they need and uh, support that way. So uh, visit rpor.org. And, and Lee, I think for me, you know, you're you've got you know, years of military experience. Uh, you know, you've done police, fire, and all this. How hard is it for you not to want to grab a bat and just go vigilante in the streets of Kansas City? Uh, it, it, that is a struggle for me. I'll be honest. Um, and I say that half jokingly, right? I mean, everybody, right. you, you know, you have that urge. You're like, man, I can fix this you know, pretty quickly. As a man, I just want to smash this dude in the face with a hammer. Um, 
But I'm also smart enough to know that that's not the answer. Uh, you know, the answer is, is holding these guys accountable, you know, in the legal way, getting good charges on them and getting them put in jail. Uh, and then over time, you know, having other ones realize that this just isn't worth it. Uh, and, and you, you could get me on a whole nother hour podcast about the way some of the laws are written and things like that. But I mean, some of that would could be fixed relatively easy. Like right now, buying sex uh, in Missouri is a misdemeanor. So if, you, if a cop pulls you over on the corner of Independence and Quincy picking up a prostitute, you'll literally get what's equivalent to a traffic ticket. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll go take that to your lawyer and you'll have it downgraded down to a non-moving traffic violation. You'll probably pay a $200 fine. You'll never have to tell your wife about it. Uh, it's just insane to me that that's a misdemeanor. Uh, Texas, the state of Texas, just last year changed it and made it a felony for buying, for buying sex being a felony. And the other way I try to relate it to people is, you know, look at drinking and driving. If you get a DUI, that's going to cost you a good $10,000. You're going to get a lawyer. You're going to have to go to a, a weekend long course to learn about the dangers of drinking and driving. You could take that same model and put it towards this. Uh, and I think it would be super effective. And I think you'd see a drop in people buying girls pretty quickly because one, it's a felony, make it a huge $10,000 fine, make it where you have to go to a, they used to call it John school. So if you got caught, you used to have to go to John school, which would teach you empathy about women and, and what this really, what this problem really looks like. And that there's a lot of minors being exploited and, you know, all that stuff, a weekend course where now you can't lie to your wife and just be like, Oh yeah. And I'm getting a traffic ticket. That's why I had to take the $200 out of the bank account, make him, make it cost him $10,000, make him do some time in jail make him have to go to a course to learn empathy and, and other things about the dangers of, of, of doing this thing. He's at least gonna have to tell his wife. Um, so I think just that fear alone would make it, but right now there's just, there's no consequence, man. So guys that are going to buy sex are going to continue to buy sex until somebody holds them accountable. So the best way to do that is, yeah, I'd love to go do it with a hammer or a baseball bat, but the easier one is just to change the law and, and yeah. make it, make it a felony. Um, Cause that's essentially, you know, why the, why the guys are doing it is because as a society, we allow them to get away with it. Um, you know, and again, I, I won't get on the whole law thing as well about, you know, just even like enticement charges because we do a lot of child sexual exploitation stuff. And the, the statute in the state of Missouri says that the girl has for, for an enticement charge, she's got to be 14. So but the age of consent, you know, you're legally you're not supposed to be having sex. You're supposed to be an adult. But if the age of consent is 17, then what about 15 and 16 year olds? So, you, you know, but you, again, I won't, won't get off on that tangent, but I think on the on the sex buyer thing, I think making buying sex a felony would be that's an, that's a pretty easy button thing to fix. Uh, and, and hopefully we'll see it in the future for Missouri. But. And that's one of the things, you know, I'm, I'm not big on the federal government overstepping every state, but that's something that the feds could do quickly. Just like, you know, if you you're paying for it, you're going to pay for it. Yep. Yeah, and another quick one that I know a couple other organizations are trying to push too is, uh, you know, change, trying to change the equation. So a big breaking point in, from a legal perspective is the age of the girl. So if she's 18, she's considered an adult. And if she's got, if somebody puts sex ads out or you, you get caught buying an 18-year-old or a 25-year-old, it's the same. Um, changing it to where in, on the, in the human trafficking realm to say that the age, you know, for that, make it 21 as well. Uh, so that, yeah, if you end up getting caught with an 18 or 19 or 20 year old prostitute who's being sold by somebody, dude, make that a federal charge as well. Make it like it that, you know, make minor. We do it for drinking. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to drink until you're 21. So why should you be able to sell your body either voluntarily or being forced to sell your body? Well, make that wait till 21. And it sound, that sounds ridiculous, but that changing that part of the equation would actually be huge as well. 
because these traffickers know that. So what they'll do is they absolutely sell these girls younger than 18, but they do it, you know, kind of on the black market. You know, you're not going to find those girls advertised on sites. You know, they might have them on the corner, but they're going to be super careful. And they're only going to sell them to other buyers that they know aren't cops and, and all these other things. So they'll keep them relatively hidden until about 18. They might be running them in strip clubs. And then about 18, they'll put them in strip clubs. And then they'll start posting ads online at, when the girl's 18. Uh, and so that, that, that becomes a struggle for law enforcement to go, one, how do we find the minors? You know, there's no, there's no perfect way. We don't know where they're doing it. Um, but then it's, it's an also an issue with society going, oh, well, now she's 20, so it doesn't matter. Or she's 18, so she's an adult. So um, I, I struggle with that one, too. And, and that'd be another law that you could probably change relatively quickly to say, you know, if it's anything to do with any kind of sex crime or, you know, human trafficking charge, if the girl's under 21, we're treating it like she's a minor. Because those, those cases will put people away for a long time. Like I said, you get caught with a 17-year-old girl, you're going away for a very long time. But then all of a sudden, she's 18 or 19, and it's like, eh, whatever. She probably wants to be out there. She's right. probably a drug addict. And you're just, so that frustrates me uh, a little bit as well. And, and it it shuts down the market and the need for it because there's a, a sizable difference between 17 and 21. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you pull it, if you kill the demand – then you, the, you kill the market. Right. So, um, so yeah, that, that would be amazing. So um, uh, Lee, one of my, uh, the most important part of uh, Gifts for Glory is we hear uh, each guest's testimony, how they came to faith. Uh, so tell us your story. Um, tell us about, uh, did you grow up in a Christian home or, or how, how did, uh, how did you find faith? Man, I kind of, it's a long, crazy story, but uh, I kind of flirted with it all through my childhood, basically because of my grandma. So I was not raised like, you know, going to church every Sunday with my parents or anything like that. Um, I got exposed to it early, you know, anytime I was with my grandma. Grandma would make me go to church and, and I enjoyed it. And that was kind of the thing that me and her did together. Um, and then I joined the military, at, you know, uh, right out of high school. And I definitely considered myself a Christian, you know, and I'd, I'd go to you know Sunday services when I was in boot camp, but that was more just to not get smoked by the drill sergeants. Yeah. Um, you know, and then as the wars kicked off and I started deploying, you know, you, you obviously you're going to start struggling with uh, religion at that. You know, and I find myself in, in, you know, in Iraq, I was, I was up in Mosul, Iraq. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it, that kind of brought me back to it, uh, you know, in the early two thousands, maybe kind of start, you know, reading the Bible again and um, researching just almost from like a geography standpoint, right? I'm learning like, man, I'm in Baghdad, which is Babylon. And then, you know, we would get in gunfights up in uh, a town called Nineveh, which, you know, where Jonah was swallowed by the whale. And so it made me kind of get back into it and start reading books, you know, like I said, from a geography standpoint to go, oh, all right, man, this is what they're talking about. Now I'm physically actually sitting here. Um, So kind of got back into it uh, with the time I spent in Iraq, but then, you know, just kind of life happens and I in and out. I was never and every Sunday going to church kind of person or even reading my Bible as much as I probably should. Um, and it was really, was when we started Relentless Pursuit, uh, I slowly started getting back into it. And, and now I, now I consider myself, all right, you know, now I go to church every Sunday that I can. Uh, and I've definitely been reinvigorated with, with, with getting back into it. So yeah, I don't have a straight line path that, you know, hey, I was born a Christian and I've always been a strong Christian. It's definitely been up and down like everything else in my life. Um, but I will tell you that, from starting this ministry, it definitely strengthened all my faith and all my beliefs. And it was more just cause I'm one of those people that I need to see something happen. I can listen to other people's stories and testimonies and be like, man, that's great that that happened to you. But you know, I just haven't seen it. I don't feel it. Uh, but, and this, uh, this ministry that we started has absolutely 
strengthen my faith a, a thousand times over. And it's just because I get to see it, right? You're just like all the God things that happened down in that building and just through our organizations where now I'm like, man, if somebody was telling me that story, I wouldn't probably wouldn't even believe it. But, you know, just the way we acquired the building or we have a, we have a joke at the building that says, man, be careful what you say that we need in here because God's going to deliver it. And nice. I'm, I'm saying everything from if one of the volunteers comes up and goes, man, we're, we're running out of flip-flops within 24 hours. Somebody we don't even know will pull up with a trash bag full of flip-flops and come knock on our door and be like, do you guys need these? And you're like, man, is there a microphone in this building? Am I getting punked right now? Uh, so the first couple of times it happened, I was just like, all right, that was kind of weird. And then Jennifer, the girl who wrote the paper, then every once in a while she would stop me and she goes, dude, you need to take a second and just think about what just happened. We literally said we needed something and within 24 hours it showed up. Uh, one of the craziest stories was, you know, we were serving, you know, like Coke and Sprite and stuff like that to the girls. Uh, some of the staff started getting a little upset because just like anybody else, like a kid, they would waste it and, you know, they'd take a sip out of it and we'd go to close at the end of the day and there'd be 15 half drank, you know, soda bottles sitting around and we're like, man, we, we can't keep using donor dollars to buy this if the girls are going to waste it. So, you know, we're, we're just going to give them water. So they're like, Lee, you're not allowed to buy any more soda. You can't, you can't spend any more money on drinks until the girls, you know, drink what they open. And I was like, okay, going to open up the drop-in center one morning. And uh, I get a phone call from the Coca-Cola distribution factory. Uh, and they're like, Hey man, we have like 107 cases of Coke that we can't take the quick trip because it expires in a month. We heard about what you guys are doing. Is there any way you could use it? And I was just like, yeah, dude, I'll meet you at the property in like an hour. Yeah. So it's literally anything we need, whether it's money, drinks, or flip-flops. Uh, it's just, it, dude, it's something to watch. I mean, it, it blows me away every day that we're open or that we're doing something down there. And that's how I know that it's not us, right? I mean, I, I don't have the background that, that, that justifies the, the kind of successes that we've had or the, you know, just the, the momentum that we've built and just, you know, we're barely a three-year-old nonprofit. Um, so that's absolutely not, nothing that me or anybody on the board is doing or any of our staff, because we all know that we have no business doing it. I mean, dude, just look at my background, you know, Army Ranger, cop, fireman, professional MMA fighter, bull rider, all this ridiculous stuff. Nowhere in there is any kind of like service, social service or, you know, working with girls. Um, and, and, and same with the board, man. I mean, we all come from ridiculous, weird backgrounds. And uh, but this thing just works. And there's no doubt in my mind that God's all over it. Uh from you know, just literally from the mission all the way down to flip flops when we need them. So. Yeah. And it's, you know, God is using, because I think that to do what you're doing, you have to come from a hard place mm -hmm. and coming from military and everything else you've done. You're a hard man that you're hardened. You, you can, <clears throat> if need be, you can hold your own. I'm sure. Which is why when that guy was looking you up and down, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to try. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work out good. But if you get Hank from the suburbs with his turtleneck, right. that guy might have tried him. Right. And right. I don't mean that to be insulting, but it's just like God calls who he's prepared and equipped. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, that you're a prime example because, you know, you've got you've got some ink. You've 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 seen some things. You've been in war. So you've got a little bit of a callus to you and. I think that the women that you serve can relate to that because they're in a war. They're in a spiritual, physical war. Whereas, like I said, you know, Hank from the suburbs might not be able to relate. Right. And he'll give them the, you know, the John 316, but he won't be able to relate to them. Right. And so I think that it's just beautiful to see how God uses us. Uh, all we have to do is be willing and yes. he'll open the door. Uh, so uh, for those, again, listening, visit rpor.org. 
if you're in the Kansas City area or you have family or friends that are looking for a way to to jump out of church and into the real world of ministry and whether or not they uh, like, like like you said, Lee, whether or not they are equipped to sit for five hours and, and talk with the women or if they can cook or if they can uh, teach life skills or anything that you have that you can offer. Yeah. Uh, you, you could definitely be beneficial to, to serve the ministry at RPOR.org. Um, so, the uh, the next segment that uh, we do on the show this is called the interrogation which I'm sure that doesn't scare you any um, but uh, uh, it's the seven random questions that otherwise wouldn't have fit in our conversation well some are so- softballs but uh, maybe one or two challenging ones but here is the interrogation first question what did you want to be uh, when you grew up uh, an army ranger. Uh, from start to finish, you got your dream. Nice. <laughs> yep. uh, what's your favorite comfort food? Ooh. Uh, pork belly tacos from Bar Taco. Nice. Sounds good. Uh, what's your favorite story in the Bible? Favorite story in the Bible? Uh, the one I quoted when we were looking at buying the building. I don't know what story it is because I'm absolutely not a biblical scholar, but the group standing at the Jordan River waiting to take the step. You know, they get there. Nothing happens until they actually take the step because mm-hmm. I improperly kept trying to quote that to my board when I was like, we're buying this building because that's where we're at. We're at the we're at the edge of the Jordan River. All we got to do is take the step and buying that building and, and getting to work is our step. So nice. Uh, what's a talent you have that few people have seen? Hmm. Talent that I have that few people have seen. Uh, man, that's a tough one. That few people have seen. Man, I, I'm pretty much. I feel like I try to show all my talents. Uh, I can't sing. I definitely can't dance. Uh, oh, art. I actually do love to paint, which is really weird. But uh, yeah, I like doing art. But I just never, never really do it. And I think it shocks people when I end up painting something. So I'll go okay. with that. Very cool. All right. How do you recharge? Oh, uh, I don't usually. Um, man. Really, my, my idea of recharging is just, you know, I don't get to do it very often, but just, yeah, just turning my phone off and, and trying to hang out, hang out with my family at the house. I, I don't like going on vacations because I spend so much time traveling for work and, you know, I'm all over the place. So uh, recharge would just be a, a chill day, uh, hanging out at the house, going for a run. I like to I like to go on 10 mile runs. That's usually how I uh, recharge, which doesn't make sense. But mentally, I recharge. That's that's kind of my. That's when I uh, have my arguments with God and I and I sort my brain out. And I just figure I got to go punish myself. That's something I learned as a, as a ranger, right? When you got to figure something out, just go run and keep running until you're until you're tired. Nice. All right. Question number six: What makes you laugh? What makes me laugh? Uh, hmm. I don't know, man. I love comedy shows and stuff like uh, movies. I mean, I, I like. Uh, Kind of the ridiculous comedy, you know, like the the Will Ferrells and the mm-hmm. Step Brothers and stuff like that. I'll sit there and laugh till I'm crying at, at just dumb movies. All right. And final question, the interrogation. What are the top three things on your bucket list? Top three things on my bucket list. Uh, this one's going to sound ridiculous because it'll never happen. I've always wanted to go to space. So hopefully Elon Musk will... We'll get space tourism before I get too old because <laughs> I was like, that's, you know, that's, that's one of the things on my on my work list that I was like, man, is there a job you haven't done? And I was like, yeah, dude, I always wanted to be an astronaut, but I, I was not very good at school. So 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, definitely going to space. Uh, I've always wanted to go to Greece. Um, and three, um, I want to scuba dive in Israel. Wow. Nice. Very good bucket list. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, you survived the interrogation as if there was any doubt. Um, but uh, I'll leave the final question I ask every uh, guest is for uh, anyone that's listening or watching that wants to use their gifts uh, for God's glory to honor him. What would your wise counsel be? Not very wise, man, but I, I found myself there about three years ago. Uh, the, the counsels, man, just do it. Uh, don't be scared of it. I mean, again, this I, I have no business being in the, in the space that I am starting a nonprofit, fighting human trafficking. You know, I find myself in that drop in center, you know, literally talking to girls like I'm a counselor, you know, just being be shown, shown empathy and, and, and just and being there for them, which does not fit my past or my normal personality. Um, so, yeah, the wise counsel, if you, if you think you have a gift and you want to step up and, and, and do something for God's glory, then, man, just do it. Don't be scared. It'll, if, it, if it's supposed to happen, uh, it'll work out. Perfect. All right. Well, Lee Gibson, uh, the uh, the founder of uh, Relentless Pursuit Outreach and Recovery in Kansas City, uh, you, you are doing amazing work for, uh, for God's kingdom. And like you said, in, in every minister, I think, has the same thing of you want to see the big numbers at the altar. And uh, but you're, you're sowing seeds, you're planting gardens that will be harvested later. So uh, keep, keep up the good work. Uh, we're praying for you. And uh Hope that anybody in the Kansas City area or anybody with a wallet will consider uh, supporting RPOR in uh, helping uh, helping the, the uh, crisis shelter get open, uh, help the uh, renovations at the larger kitchen for the uh, drop-in shelter, and everything else that you're doing. We just pray that uh, people will uh, be willing to support. Awesome. Well, th- thanks for having me, Dave. And uh, we'll, we'll do this again soon, man, when we get the rest of the building up and operational. And uh, we'll, we'll come back on and give you some updates. Sounds great, man. I really appreciate it. RPOR.org, RPOR.org to get involved. Uh, We thank you, uh, Lee, and uh, uh, God bless you and your work. And we will see everyone next Monday night right here on Gifts of Glory. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll uh, talk to you soon.